we thank you for your love, Lord. And uh, we pray that you would speak to us, your children, assembled before you this evening, or that we would hear your word, Lord, and um, that you would speak to each individual heart here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good evening, everybody. If you want to say hi to someone while you're making yourself comfortable, feel free. pray as we continue in our worship of the Lord. Father, we are so grateful uh, for demonstrating your love for us in this while we were yet sinners, that you sent Christ to die for us as ungodly people. Lord, we just thank you for that revelation of your love and that in that we might know love, Lord, not in anything else, circumstances or thoughts or feelings, but just in that demonstration of the giving of your son, Lord, not sparing your own son, giving your absolute best, Lord. We thank you for that blessed assurance. And, and Lord, out of love for us, we just ask for your help tonight for ourselves as we open the word of God, as we continue to make our way <clears throat> through the scriptures. And Lord, just giving uh, our willing attention to the Old Testament as well as to the new, believing it's inspired and profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness so that we can be just thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Lord, uh, what you have for us tonight in your word, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to be attentive and receptive and that you would bless your word as, as we open it and let it go forth into our hearts and souls and minds. So speak to us by your Spirit's ministry as we open the scriptures. And we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 22 is where we pick up in our study here together. Last time together, uh, we saw David uh, come to a sense of discernment regarding the location uh, that the temple of God, this permanent dwelling place of uh, God's people to gather together for times of worship, uh, was to be established and to be built, uh, came out of some unique circumstances, but we saw there in chapter 22, verse 1, we left off only looking into the first verse of chapter 22, where David says, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And he was referring to the actual temple mount, as we know it there, the, the location where the temple would be built, not by David, uh, but by Solomon. And as David uh, purchased this particular plot of land, this threshing floor uh, of Ornan the Jebusite, David recognized, discerned from the Holy Spirit, this was where the temple was to be built. So it's no surprise that in the next uh, section, we have the Holy Spirit giving to us reference regarding David's preparations that were made for the temple. Remember, uh, it seems that David had the desire to build this temple and this house for God. Uh, David received revelation from the Lord regarding how it was to be built, the layout, the blueprints, all these kind of things. But yet God told David that though it was in his heart, it was good that it was in his heart, that he had another plan in regards to uh, how he was going to bring that to pass, particularly we're going to see through his son Solomon, which David makes mention of uh, in our chapters here in front of us tonight. So chapter 22 describes really the uh, preparations that David is making, some of the exhortations David gives to Solomon, to the leaders, to now rise up and to embrace 
this calling. David had a real sense of the calling of God and what the Spirit wanted to do and just wanted to do whatever he could do to participate in that process and get behind what God wanted to do. And then chapters 23, really kind of through 27, kind of bring us back into some more of these um, lists and David kind of making some organization uh, of the, the spiritual life and the worship life of the people. So uh, we'll see where we go, but we'll kind of pick up pace a little bit when we get there to chapter 23 and moving forward in the, the chapters ahead as we kind of close out the book here, uh, probably in our next study or two together. So chapter 22, beginning in verse 2, says, So David commanded to gather the aliens. Now that would just be a reference to those who were foreigners, uh, those who were not Jews, not uh, Israeli by descent, uh, those from other nations uh, who were in the land of Israel dwelling there. And he appointed, it says, masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. So at this point, we see David now as a spiritual leader appointing those uh, who were gifted in different capacities to different areas of service. Particularly, we notice these who were gifted masons, those who were able to work uh, with stone, to cut it, to shape it, uh, and their responsibility to participate in building the house of God. And again, just very beautiful to see as the Holy Spirit records these things that not all were priests or Levites or those who would lead music and singing. Uh, some were uh, stone uh, masons, uh, some were carpenters, some worked with different types of metals, but again, each had their unique gift. Their contribution, the thing that God gave them a capacity to do or an aptitude for, whether it was, again, uh, leading music or speaking the word of God or just using a saw or a screwdriver or a chisel or a hammer or whatever it may be, and how God just used these different things coming together to accomplish his work and to build the house of God. And again, it just becomes a very beautiful and symbolic picture of what the New Testament teaches us as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and other places about the ministry of the body of Christ and how Paul talks about there how Jesus of course is the head and the head directs everything that happens in the body so the body functions in harmony and in a healthy and productive way but the body's made up of many different members with many different parts and functions. And so you have an eye and an ear and a hand and a mouth and then internal organs. And uh, all of these different parts have their unique function. Uh, one isn't more important than the other, and they operate in harmony, each contributing their share and how we are different parts of the body of Christ. But it takes all those different body parts and members for the body to accomplish the things that uh, the head desires and directs for it to do. And so here we see this pictured even in the Old Testament as they're building the physical house or temple of God. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3, says that we, the church, now spiritually, uh, we're God's temple. Uh, and the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us uh, as the body of Christ as we contribute to the, the building of God's work under the direction of Jesus. So here, David, he begins to appoint the masons. They're you know, cutting out these large sections of stone that Solomon will use. I mean, massive stones. If you see some of these, if you go over to Israel, some of what's left from some of the temple, uh, the last one that was destroyed there. I mean, massive stones, you know, 15, 20 foot long stones. I mean, it's amazing what these people were able to do, uh, you know, without modern engineering and laser levels and power tools. I mean, it's just incredible the knowledge and the skill that some of these people had. 
and exercise. So David's appointing them. Verse 3 says he also prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors and of the gates and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those from Tyre. And he brought much cedar wood to David. So David here just making preparations, you know, doing whatever he can to contribute to what God is going to do. And again, before any work of God comes to pass, there always is a, a process, a necessary aspect of preparation, whether it's building something physically or whether it's building something that's spiritual, a work of God in some way. Uh, preparation is an important part of that process. And, and David here, again, just the heart of David is so beautiful in the sense that uh, David didn't focus on what he couldn't do. Uh, David focused on what he was able to do, uh, and God wasn't going to allow David to be the one to actually build the temple itself, but the beautiful thing is because David had a sense of calling and that this was the heart of the Lord, it, nothing prohibited David in any way from doing everything that he was allowed to do. So David said, great, then I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to do whatever I can to use my gifts and my callings to go out and to fight battles and to conquer territories and to gain spoils of war, gold and silver and bronze and, and, and to acquire you know, the trees, the cedars from Lebanon. And David says, I'm going to do everything I can to lay up and to provide and to get behind and to prepare and even just to give encouragement instruction to those who would actually do the work itself. And so David here accumulating all these supplies that will be used by Solomon, his son. In verse five, he now speaks to Solomon saying to him, Solomon or regarding Solomon, uh, Solomon, he says, my son is young and inexperienced. And he was, we believe chronologically around this time, Solomon, uh, before he would kind of take over for David's throne was probably somewhere in like his mid teenage years. Uh, so that's, you know, a pretty uh, huge responsibility for a young man to assume the throne. And it was the calling of God by the spirit for Solomon to be the one to take over for David in the rulership of Israel. As David would pass off the scene, uh, there were other sons available, but yet the spirit's calling was upon Solomon. And again, just reminds us that uh, it's about the grace of God and it's about the calling of God. It's not about who's the oldest, uh, you know, who has the most experience, who has the best resume, you know, uh, who perhaps has put in the most time so they're most deserving of the promotion. You know, all these things we think about from a business perspective. Well, hey, this guy's been with the company the longest. And so, you know, if anybody deserves the promotion to the next level on the ladder, it's, I mean, it's him. He's put in his time. He's been around from, you know, day one of the company started. And, and we kind of think that way from a worldly perspective. But in God's economy, it's strictly about the grace of God and it's about who's called. It's who's called of the spirit, who is the spirit chosen. And Solomon probably would have been the last one, if you would have asked from a natural perspective, <laughs> who should be one to do this work of God. I mean, even David himself says he's young and very inexperienced. <laughs> I mean, even David makes that honest testimony about his son's life, who's about to take over the role of the leadership of Israel and to take on this massive project of building this incredible temple, the temple of God. Again, think of it. Of all the sons, Solomon was the son that was the result of one of David's most greatest failures. 
his moral failure of adultery with Bathsheba, which then resulted in the losing of the first son, but then the next son conceived through David and Bathsheba after he married her, murdered her husband, was who? Solomon. Uh, so it's out of that very, you could say, kind of questionable background that, that it's that son of all sons, talk about the grace of God, that God chooses to be the next ruler of Israel. It's through that son who is young at this point, just in his teenage years and very inexperienced that, that David is able to say, you know what, this person may be older, wiser, more experienced, but this is who God's called. And this is who God's hand is upon. And so again, David realizing that calling and anointing of the spirit has so much more value and bearing than anything else uh, at the end of the day. So he admittedly says, look, uh, my son Solomon, he's young and, and inexperienced and the house to be built, he says, verse five, for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent famous and glorious throughout all countries. So David wants this temple to be absolutely wonderful, exceedingly magnificent. I begin just the, the purposeful, their adjectives, not just magnificent, but exceedingly magnificent, famous. That is, it's to be known about abroad and the glory of it throughout, not just Israel, but throughout all countries. Again, just the heart of David in this. Not that at the end of the day, what God cares about most is physical structures, but just the heart of David is, look, if this is going to be for God, it should be the absolute best. And that's just the heart of David behind this is, look, if we're going to do something for God, it shouldn't be half-hearted. It should be something that is absolutely magnificent and wonderful. And we want to do what we do for God well when we do work for God and serve God. And I think in some ways there, there, there's, there's a level of uh, you know, great testimony in that. It looks like that they care. If they would have built this shabby temple that kind of you know, looked like a secondhand type of thing, people would have been like, well, wow. I mean, that, that's what represents your God. Uh, and David didn't want that. David wanted the absolute best for God that God's fame would be published abroad. So he says, this must be the absolute best. And Solomon, he says, he's, he's young and inexperienced. So he says, I'm going to do everything I can to help. He says, verse five, I will now make preparation for it. So David made, verse five, abundant preparation before his death. Till his dying breath, he did everything he could to abundantly prepare and do whatever he could do to help in this process of God's calling and what God wanted to do. Verse six, then he called for his son Solomon and he charged him. No, he didn't suggest to him. He's giving him a charge here. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't Solomon. You know, if you think you would be interested, this is Solomon. This is what God has called you to do and you need to embrace it. You need to obey it. Solomon, I know that you're young. I know that you're inexperienced. Paul will tell Timothy, don't let anyone look down upon you or despise your youth, but be an example unto the believer. And, and again, I think that should always be our heart. There's something very wonderful here to see how all throughout the word of God, whether with Solomon, whether with Timothy, just again, God's hand upon young lives. We're gonna see David change the age of the uh, Levites and spiritual servants in the chapters ahead. He's gonna lower the age and say, look, we need to get more young people involved. Uh, and not kind of saying, well, you're, you're just young, you're wet behind the ears, you're not mature enough. You don't. Instead, the, the Bible puts before us the opposite. 
taking that youthful passion and energy and again the zeal and, and what a young person brings to the table and he says Solomon I'm charging you this is serious this is serious business you've been entrusted with something very sacred very valuable don't despise the opportunity to think oh well no he says Solomon you need to take this serious this is a glorious opportunity God's entrusting to you so he says I'm charging you to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And again, you notice the continual references that the house was for the Lord. Solomon, don't try and build your own thing. Don't try and build your own reputation, build your own ministry, build your own house so that everybody knows who Solomon is. You build something that glorifies God. Build a house for the Lord, somewhere where people can gather and experience the presence of the Lord. That's what this was to be about. Again, ultimately, it wasn't about what the people wanted, it was a house for God. And I think that's an important thing to remember as we talk about the house of God, which of course the temple was a place of worship and sacrifice. Ultimately, that is who it's about. It's, it's the Lord's house. It's about the Lord. So we don't come here per se, if you would, when we assemble like this congregationally as the church when we come together. We don't, in, you know, in a first sense, initially come for ourselves. Now, I understand in a sense we do because we realize the world beat me up the last few days and so I'm dragging myself into the house of God again because I want to worship the Lord and get refreshed and inspired. And the Bible says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord and when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. I understand that. And we need the ministry of the Spirit. But ultimately, we come for his sake. We come because he's worthy of our honor and worthy of our praise and, and that we want to come and, and minister to him and bring an offering to him of our praise and our love and our devotion. And again, that we have that mentality that we're not building something for ourselves, but it's for a dwelling place of God to come and to honor him and that he would be able to be blessed as we come as his worshiper. So David said to Solomon, verse seven, my son, as for me, it was in my mind, he reminds him, the idea, he says, the thought. This was in my mind, he says, to build a house, again, notice, to the name, to the honor of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give him peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He, verse 10, shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Of course, ultimately referring beyond Solomon out to the messianic line, the building of a house, a dynasty, that ultimately the Messiah would come and have an eternal reign upon the throne of David way, way beyond Solomon's years. But here we get an insight from verse 7 down through verse 10. As David recalls again, how the desire to do this, the idea to do this work of God originated in David's mind. Uh, and yet, though the desire and idea originated in his mind to do this, ultimately God chose to bring it about in a different way than what David expected. And so he says, it was in my mind to do it, but he says, the Lord said to me, look, you are not going to be the one to actually 
go to, to work, if you would, and bring about the construction and the building of the temple. And here we get this insight we haven't gotten yet before in the Old Testament that it was because David was a man of war and he had shed much blood. Now, it wasn't that David had did this and God was displeased because a lot of the times David was fighting God's battles. God was telling him to go to war. God was leading him out as a general and a warrior to conquer the Lord's enemies and to fight battles that God would lead him into. It was simply that God was saying, look, I don't want my house, my temple to be associated with the work and the sweat and the striving and the bloodshed of the efforts of man. What I want my temple and everything about it to be connected to is rest and peace and quietness and that it was totally a work of the spirit that brought it to pass through the most unlikely individual, young Solomon, that anyone would have ever imagined. And here, David just has to embrace this recognition. Lord, you called me to do this. Solomon would be a much different man during the time of his reign because David conquered so many of the enemies and fought so many battles that David did all the hard work. And Solomon just kind of stepped into it, you know? I mean, David defeated all the enemies. He did all the groundwork, the blood, sweat, and tears. And Solomon was born into a situation where he could be, it says, verse 9, a man of rest, and God gave Solomon rest from all of his enemies all around. He had a very peaceful reign. Now, that being said, Solomon also was at the end of the day a lot less spiritual and in a lot less of a healthy relationship with God than David ever was. Some of that rest and peace and quietness ultimately didn't serve Solomon too well because in the rest, peace, quietness, and idleness, Solomon got involved in all kinds of things he shouldn't have. We know that Solomon started well, he didn't finish too well. But nonetheless, Solomon inherits this rather peaceful reign. Again, his, his reign is more of a picture of the, the kingdom age and the peace and the quietness and the rest from enemies. And so therefore, God said, I want this man who will be a man of peace and a man of rest to be the one to build my house. And ultimately, this becomes, again, a, a very beautiful symbolic picture of how the Lord builds his work and the house of God and how the temple of the Lord and the church is to be built and to, to move forward. It's not to be like what it would have been through David in any way connected to blood and sweat and tears and striving. Listen, is there a labor and a work? Absolutely. But, but Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, and, and the Lord wants his house to be recognized as something that comes from a place of rest and peace. The idea is dependence upon the Lord and trust and that it's just a work of the spirit that the Lord is able to do. And we just kind of cooperate and we just become the living stones and he just puts us into our place and works through us in a very beautiful way. So here, Solomon being reminded by his father as a young man, look, son, uh, I wanted to do this, but God intends for you to do it. And so you have to embrace the charge. Solomon, this is God's destiny. This is what God intends for you. And he has specifically called you by name to build a house. He's reminding Solomon of his calling. Solomon, this is what God's called you to do. You need to recognize the calling, receive it in faith, and be faithful to carry it out. So his father, just a beautiful example, just charging this younger man to embrace his call to build the house of God. Verse 11, he says, Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. And boy, that makes all the difference in the world right there. If the Lord's with you, you're okay. If he's not, that never a good thing. He says, May the Lord be with you 
and may you prosper, verse 11, and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. In other words, do what God has called and told you to do. Verse 12, only may the Lord, he says, give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. So he says, Solomon, listen. He says, the Lord has called you to do this. Yes, you're young and inexperienced, but he says, if the Lord is with you, that makes up for all the deficit. Because he says, the Lord is the ancient of days, even though you're young and inexperienced. And the Lord has all wisdom, even though you lack wisdom and are very inexperienced. And he says, the wonderful thing is, he says, the Lord can give you, he says, verse 12 there, wisdom and understanding as you take charge of this responsibility. But he says, my exhortation to you, son, he says, may you in the midst of these things also keep the law of the Lord, that is obey the word of God. May you just obey the word of God and the law of the Lord, follow God's commands, because he says, in doing that in your personal life, then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments that the Lord gave to us through Moses. So he's challenging his son. Listen, son, I want you to embrace God's calling. Follow what the Lord has called and destined you to do. And he says, above all else, just live for the Lord. Obey his word. Be obedient. And again, just beautiful to see the heart of David here towards his young son as a spiritual man wanting to invest in the spiritual life of his children. David's not primarily concerned with Solomon. Make sure you keep the economy strong. Solomon, make sure you you build the military and keep all the enemies at bay. His primary concern is Solomon, just walk with God. Just obey the word of God and follow God's calling in your life. Solomon, if you just do that, I'll be a proud father. Solomon, I don't care what you do with the economy. I don't care how well you do guiding the military. I don't care what kind of great political moves and Solomon what I care about is that you would follow God's calling on your life and you would obey the word of God and live for him because he says if you do that you'll prosper the way God wants you to prosper your life will flourish if you're just obedient and faithful to the Lord and again just a, a beautiful heart you know any parent who loves the Lord that's the only thing you want for your kids I don't care if you're a trash man or you're the president of the United States or what just live for the Lord just live for the Lord and God will flourish your life in, in ways that are meaningful that really matter. So he just charges them there, verse 13, be strong and of good courage, do not fear or be dismayed. Now, someone does not say to you, be strong, unless you feel weak. They don't say to you, be of good courage, unless you're lacking courage and fearful. They don't say to you, don't be afraid or don't fear unless you're fearful. And they don't say to you, don't be dismayed unless you feel like just completely overwhelmed. Like I just, I'm dismayed by this. I just don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. I don't know how I'm going to be able to handle that. So again, indication of what Solomon's feeling, but David here saying to him, listen, because the Lord's with you, he's charging him. You be strong. You don't be dismayed. Don't lack courage. You have courage. And again, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to do what's right, even though you are afraid. That's what courage is. 
It's the willingness to say, I'm shaking in my boots, but nonetheless, I'm still going to do the right thing. You know, I remember years and years ago, somebody asked me one time, hey, when did you ever get over being nervous in regards to speaking before people or sharing whatever? And I said, when does that happen? I said, that's why I don't use one of those poles, why I've always used a wooden box for a podium so people don't consciously see my knees still knocking. Years and years later, I said, if I ever start, start to get unafraid to stand before people and speak, then I'm going to worry about myself. When I start to feel comfortable and like I know what I'm doing, uh, th then we do have a problem. Th then I do have something to really be afraid of. And again, oftentimes what the Lord calls us to do, what he's leading you to do or directing you to do, look, it, it's okay if you feel weak. It's a good thing. The Bible that I read says God gives power to the weak, Isaiah 40 says. Paul says, you know, th that his power is perfected in my weakness. It's okay to be fearful. Just in the midst of being fearful, you got to be willing to be strong and have courage and face and do what the right thing is anyway, even if it takes courage to do it. And God will bless with what's necessary in the midst of that. So he's just charging this young teenage man, Solomon, do what God's telling you. You be strong. And maybe tonight the Lord is saying to you, be strong. Have good courage. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. The Lord is with you. You just do the right thing. And indeed, he says, I've taken much trouble to prepare. And David had for the house of the Lord, 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure for it is so abundant. In other words, it couldn't even be calculated. There was so much and I've prepared timber and stone also. And he says, and if you want, you can add to them. Now you could do the calculations. The amount of precious metals described there would range somewhere in the billions. I can assure you that. When you look at the amount of gold and silver and the cost that it was, I mean, and again, in that day, imagine what that would equate to in our day and age if it would have been billions then. <laughs> I mean, this is an incredible amount of provision that David's making, again, showing you that he was sparing no expense, that he just wanted the absolute best for that which would be for God. He says, verse 15, moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen, and stone cutters and all types of, notice, skillful men for every kind of work. Again, they're all different types of work to do in, in God's ministry and in God's work, and you need different skill sets of gold and silver and bronze and iron. There is no limit. And then his charge, verse 16, arise and begin working and the Lord be with you. So he says, Solomon, you know what to do. I've made abundant preparations. I've done everything possible for you to get you ready. But he says, Solomon, at the end of the day, you have to be the one to stand up and to step out and to do it. He says, Solomon, at a certain point, preparation comes to an end and you have to then arise and get out there and do it. And so he says, Solomon, you got to arise, you got to step forward, he says, and begin working. There comes a point where you can prepare and prepare and prepare and pray and pray and pray. And listen, I'm going to say this, though some may not agree with it. Sometimes I think prayer is an excuse not to begin. Oh, we're still praying about that. We're still praying about that. I'm still praying about that. You know, sometimes prayer is a spiritual, subtle excuse for delayed obedience, 
We're still praying about that. We're praying about that. You know, and, and, and he says, Solomon, look, we've prayed, we've prepared, begin. You got to start. You got to actually do it. You got to put feet to your faith and step out. And actually, he says, begin working, actually get started, start doing something. And, and the Lord will be with you as you step into that. Verse 17, and David also commanded the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, is not the Lord your God with you? Has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. So very beautiful. David here, knowing the situation, he now turns to the other leaders surrounding Solomon, his young son, and he just basically says to them, look, can't you tell the timing is right? So he says, help him. Get involved. Help my son Solomon, he says. Come around him. Support him in these things. He says, verse 19, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. So just again, challenging all of those there to embrace, to recognize this is God and to get involved. He says, set your heart to seek the Lord and get working. Seek God and start working the same time. You can keep seeking God, but he says, start working and build the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Now, as you come to chapter 23, as I said through chapter 27, what really these chapters uh, give to us here is kind of David now, under the Spirit's leading, beginning to kind of organize and set in order uh, the things of the kingdom, of the Levitical worship life and the temple and these kind of things. So chapter 23, verse 1 says, so when David was old, and full of days, you like how the Bible speaks of getting older there in a gracious way, he was old, full of days, that David at this point is probably about 70 years old chronologically, it says he made his son Solomon king over Israel, and he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites, so he's about to begin to transition the rulership of the kingdom over to Solomon. And at this point, he gathers together the leaders, the priests, the Levites. And verse 3 tells us, now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. So what we're going to get here in chapter 23 is basically uh, David here setting in order and separating the divisions of the Levites and the priests, those who were the ministers and spiritual workers in the temple of God. Now he takes a numbering to get a calculation of how many were able to be qualified to serve from age 30 years old and above. Now that connects all the way back to Numbers chapter 3 and 4, where it was said that at the age of 30, that was the age at 30 years old when the Levites could then enter into their ministry work. And typically the ministry age was between 30 and 50, and then it seems somewhere around 50 years old, uh, they would then taper off in that work and begin training uh, the younger men to be prepared for their time of service once they hit 50. So again, uh, interesting 30, we see this number in the Bible. It seems to be an age where, you know, even remember Jesus himself entered into his ministry, his public ministry around 30. So there's about 38,000 in that age range at this time. And of those, verse 4 says, 24,000 were to look after the work 
of the house of the Lord. That is, they were to provide oversight. About 24,000 would just be overseers of this expansive temple building and then the worship system. 6,000 out of that 38,000 Levites were officers and judges. So those spiritual uh, ministers, their predominant role was to serve as officers and judges. The idea is they were to resolve disputes among the people. Uh, Because, again, even though people are coming to the house of God, uh, they're sinners just like everybody else. And so there were times where the Levites would have to function like judges and settle disputes and discrepancies between relationship problems and social issues. And so they'd have to listen to the people and then give an answer from the word of God and from the Holy Spirit how to resolve disputes according to what the word of God says. So 6,000 were functioning in that role. 4,000 were gatekeepers. They were kind of like the the, the temple security and the the ushers and greeters. And another 4,000 praised the Lord with instruments. That is, they were given to the musical aspect of worship. They praised the Lord with musical instruments. Notice, which I made, said David, for giving praise. Interesting. David loved music and loved worship in a musical way. And he actually is someone apparently who built and designed instruments. Again, we see in the word of God here very clearly that instruments, and in the book of Psalms as well, were to be used in the worship and the praising of the Lord. Particularly, David says, I built these instruments to be used for giving praise to God. Also, verse 6, David separated them into divisions. The sons of Levi, and we've seen this before, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So the three divisions by the three sons of Levi, the people of Gershon, the people of Kohath, and Merari. Verse 7 down through uh, verse 11 gives the names of the Gershonites. And if you want to read them to help sleep tonight, you can do that. Verse 12 gives us the listing of the sons of Kohath. And interesting, that's the family line through which notice Aaron and Moses, we see there in verse 13, were a part of and set apart for their ministry to minister to the Lord and to give blessing in his name forever. Then down in verse 21, we begin to see the listing of the names of the sons of Merari. Uh, who are described there for us. Look at verse 24. It says, These were the sons of Levi by their father's houses, the heads of their father's houses. They were counted individually by the number of their names who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from age 20 years and above. For David said, The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. The idea is that, that they would now set up permanent dwelling of the temple in Jerusalem and verse 26 also to the Levites they shall no longer carry the tabernacle remember that was the portable worship system the tent like structure that they would move around the wilderness they would set it up they would use it for worship and then they would disassemble it and the Levites would carry the different portions around Some would carry the fabric, some would carry the framework, others would carry the temple furnishings like the, you know, the the altar and the table of showbread and the, you know, the um, lampstand and the Ark of the Covenant itself and they would carry this around. But it says no longer was that necessary, verse 27, for these were the last words of David as the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. So what this is describing, notice, 
is that a time of change and transition happened under the time of David's rulership when the nation transitioned from having a portable worship system to having a permanent house of God, the temple, the building itself that was to be built there in Jerusalem. And that God had now brought a new time and a new season in the spiritual lives of the people. It was a new stage of worship. God was doing a new thing. David says the Lord has now given rest, verse 25, to his people that they could now dwell in Jerusalem. That's where the temple of Solomon would be built. So no longer would the Levites have to fulfill this function that they had for many years previously where they, in different ways, carried portions of the tabernacle around to set up the tent and take it down. That had come to a close. But the temple was actually going to be so much more magnificent and in its worship system and all that was involved, it was going to actually require even more responsibility and work to be done. So what David is doing here. In this section, one of his last acts, it says, his last words is under the leading of God by the Spirit, he lowers the age to which the Levites would enter into ministry. We saw back at the beginning of the chapter, the, the original age, back from Numbers, was at 30 years, and David now says the age of 20 and above, he says, would be those there from verse 24 who would do the work of the service of the house of God. David lowers the age. He says, we need to get some more young people involved. We need more people. And he says, look, we need to, to turn to the young people and we need to get them engaged. And so now the age is lowered for service down by 20 years. And again, shows you the noble heart of David. David doesn't say, you know what? If anything, we need to raise the age. All these young, immature people, they don't know they're... David's the opposite. David says, no, we need the young people involved. We need the life and the vitality and you know the things that they bring with their passions and their capabilities. So he lowers the age down to 20 years old now for those who would do the work in the house of God. Notice verse 28, their role was now mainly, the Levite's going to be, to help the sons of Aaron in their service of the house of the Lord in the courts and the chambers and the purifying of the holy things and all the work of the service of the house of God. So the primary function now of the Levites was to be to help the sons of Aaron in their service and ministry. Who were the sons of Aaron? They were the priests. So they were, in a sense, to function in, a, if you would, the role of a helper, an assistant, those who would come alongside as support staff and would be the ones who would provide help so that the priests could fulfill their ministry service and role. Only the priests could do those functions, but it took a lot of people to help them to be supported and freed up to be able to give their full attention to their function and role as priests so the Levites were to be helpers and assistants in that way. Verse 30 says, to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord and likewise at the evening and in every presentation of the burnt offering of the Lord on the Sabbaths and new moons and set feasts by number according to the ordinance of the governing them regularly before the Lord and that they should attend, it says, to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting and the needs of the holy place and the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the work of the house of the Lord. Notice, in God's work, there's a lot of needs. 
He says there's the needs of the ministry, the needs of the work that takes place in the house of the Lord. The needs, he even mentions verse 32, the needs of the sons of Haran, even to help take care of their needs so that they could give their attention to what they should be focused upon for the spiritual life and ministry to the people ministering to the Lord and then bringing ministry from the Lord to the people. And again, these as, as the the. Uh, you know, ministry is being, in a sense, kind of organized by David here. You notice there are these continual references David makes to things like work, needs, that, that there's a lot to be done, that, that it wasn't just, you know, kind of just this easygoing thing, that there was always a lot of work to be done. It reminds me of Jesus. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, and again, how much more people, there were thousands of people, there were a few people who were priests, there were thousands of people it took to do all the work, the serving, and take care of all the needs. Again, just a good reminder, because I'll tell you something, it's very easy to find people who want to do certain things in the work of the Lord. You know, hey, we need somebody to fill in to preach next week. Oh, I'll do that. We need somebody to stand up and lead music. Oh, I'll do that. But it's amazing how it's very few and far between people who just on their own self-initiative, self-starters, will just see a trash can that's overflowing and pick it up and dump it. Or go into a bathroom and and see a, a toilet that's messy or filthy or spilled over on the floor and say, well, maybe I should clean that so the next person doesn't come in but, you know, it's amazing how those things are few and because, see, that, those are labors. That's work. That's servanthood. Lots of people want to have all the other opportunities, but it's difficult to find servants. People want to serve. Sadly, even a lot of people who want to preach, they want to preach, but they don't want to serve. <laughs> or they want to lead music, but they don't want to serve. And, and, and what I see in the Word of God is, is a servant ministry. That the work of God requires servanthood. Those who are willing to, to see things and to not even have to be told. And Jesus said it's the laborers that are few. It's difficult to find people who want to labor. People who are actually willing to work. And so here, David is setting the division of the Levites. And then very quickly, we'll just, again, look at chapter 24 and we'll maybe close off with this. Here's the division of the priests. And again, just a brief, a lot of listing here, but... Chapter 24 describes the divisions now of the sons of Aaron, the actual priests. His sons were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And of course, we know Nadab and Abihu, verse 2 reminds us, they died before their father. Remember, they brought the strange fire in uh, in some perverse way. They wanted glory and they were kind of doing some things outside of God's design. And the fire of God came out and killed those two sons. And therefore, they had no children. So Eliezer and Ithamar, the younger two sons, they became the line of Aaron's sons through which the ministry of the priesthood took place. So David, with Zadok and the sons of Eliezer and Ahimelech, the sons of Ithamar, divided them according to their schedule of service. Interesting. Again, notice, here's the ministry of the Lord, the Holy Spirit working through the lives of God's people. And notice, there are things like organization structure the word schedule is even there <laughs> schedule this was the schedule in which they were to serve in their ministry capacity there were more leaders found of the sons of Eliezer than Ithamar 
But verse 5 says they were divided by lot, that is, they drew lots to set up their divisions, for they were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God. And what you basically have described here, you notice from verse 7 down through verse 19, is you have basically there 24 different courses or 24 different divisions in which people would serve two weeks out of the year. So what you had was basically, depending upon what family line you were from, the lot first lot fell to Jehoriab. Interesting, notice verse 10, the seventh, uh, excuse me, the eighth lot fell to Abijah. You might want to write in your Bible there, Luke chapter 1, because that man, Abijah, the eighth lot falls to him. And ultimately that becomes Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who's serving in his course those two weeks out of the year when he was to go up and serve at the temple of God. And it's during that timing because he's there at the right time and the right hour. He gets that revelation that he's to have John the Baptist, the son that was the forerunner of the Messiah. But basically what David does here is he assigns each two-week section of a year to 24 different divisions of the priest. So two weeks out of the year, they went up to the temple in Jerusalem and they fulfilled their function in ministry. The rest of the year, they served to function among the people, teaching the word of God, praying for people, fulfilling their ministry among the people. And then only two weeks out of the year, they would go up in their scheduled time, fulfill their service there in the temple. So verse 19 says, this was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to the ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded them. And then, of course, the rest of the sons of uh, the, the people there are described all the way down through verse 30. Verse 31 tells us, and these also cast lots, just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron, did in the presence of King David and Zadok and Ahimelech and the heads of their father's house and the priests and the Levites and the chief fathers did just as their younger brethren. So, again, just very interesting to see that there is this beautiful balance of being led of the Spirit. There's a work of God. There's a work of the Spirit that's happening. But at the same time, there's also a measure of doing, as Paul talks about in the New Testament, things decently in order, and there's structure, and there's scheduled times to serve, and it wasn't, again, God's work wasn't this haphazard thing. It wasn't as if during the year it would be okay all of a sudden as one group's coming off their two-week rotation and it's just like, hey, who's on the schedule? I don't know. Just see who's interested in serving. You know, in the same way, no more should, should the church and the house of God today function in a way where it's like, uh, who feels like teaching fourth graders today? Anybody feel, anybody feel like leading a song this morning? Anybody got a word from the Lord they want to share? And just kind of this flying by the seat of our pants, you know, sloppy, agape, just whatever, just winging the work of the Lord. And God help us. Because sometimes as believers, we're a lot more disciplined, structured, scheduled, and organized with our own jobs in the secular world than we are in the work of the Lord or the running of our own homes Certainly, God's house deserves our best. We want to give God's house our best. And interesting, even these lots were laid out, and you're thinking, what? All this stuff. And, but here, as I said down there in verse 10, God gives the eighth lot to Abijah, and God does something there that he's already thinking about 
regarding John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus that shows up in Luke chapter 1 as the descendant of Abijah is at the right time, at the right place, because he's following his schedule. Good thing he showed up on schedule. And because he was on schedule in the house of God, a work of God miraculously happened in the midst of that. Amazing how God coordinates all these things. Let's stand together.